Okay, here we go again. Welcome to the Post to Post podcast. This is episode three. I am your host, Jason. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We greatly appreciate it. If you have any feedback for us, hit us up on Twitter at Post to Post Show. If writing an email is more your thing, as always, Post to Post Show at gmail.com. Now, just a couple of things I wanted to mention off the top. If you're listening to this through a podcatcher or a pod app or iTunes or Google Play Music or one of those services, we want to thank you very much. We're trying to grow the podcast audience by getting more downloads and more subscriptions that way. If you're unable to download a podcatching app or if you'd rather just stay on YouTube for everything, that's totally fine too. That's why we upload these to YouTube as well. But uh, I just wanted to give a very special thank you to the people who are downloading and streaming through the pod apps. Uh, We greatly appreciate that. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the Washington Capitals' future and the NHL concussion protocol. There's a lot of ways to look at the Washington situation. What should they do going forward? Should they get rid of Alex Ovechkin? Do they need to get rid of the coach? Do they need to blow it up? Do they need to stay the course? There's there's a lot of opinions around that, and we'll get into it. And the NHL brought in new rules for the concussion protocol at the start of the 2016-2017 season that just passed. We talk about what those new rules are and whether they are living up to expectation or if they're falling a little short. I'm going to bring in the guys now and play the episode, so enjoy. All right, so we are here with Neil and Justin from the Post to Post Show. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Happy to be back. All right, there's lots to talk about. We had a pretty busy week. Round two of the playoffs uh, wrapped up, and that kind of seems like a while ago now, but we do need to talk about it. So let's start off first with the Nashville-St. Louis series. Nashville finishing that one up uh, 3-1 on the on last Sunday. So they won the series 4-2, and I know you guys have had videos about these, but just for the listeners that didn't have a chance, uh, why don't you uh, give your thoughts about that series? Will do. Um, you know, Nashville right now are really on a high, aren't they? They're a high-octane team, and they are really on a mission. I'm still in shock that Nashville is doing what they're doing. They, to me, are the real Cinderella story in the West this year. And I really feel for St. Louis. I feel for their fans because on paper, they've had some stellar, stellar teams over the last few years. And they have that consistency of always making the playoffs, but they always come up short. And I think Neil said in the previous video we did about this, he mentioned that St. Louis are kind of like the Washington Capitals of the West. And there's a lot of truth to that, you know. They uh, can always get into the playoffs, have a glimmer of hope, glimmer of success in that first round, but then it just kind of all starts to fall apart for them. And I really feel for them. I feel bad for Jake Allen because, you know, he's a good Fredericton boy and Mm -hmm. he's played so well these playoffs. Uh, just you, you want to see him have success, and ugh, I mean, if history tells us anything, it's that St. Louis can't get it done, and if that's the case, then maybe Jake Allen will never get to where he needs to be. Yeah, because Jake Allen was stellar, and to me, he was the real MVP of that team. If I had to pick one guy on St. Louis who did, you know, phenomenal job in the playoffs this year, it would be hands down Jake Allen, yeah. and I don't think they would have even made it as far as they did without him. Yeah, absolutely. So we last, uh, I guess, yesterday for us, this is Saturday. So Friday night we had our first game of the third round. So we know that, obviously, Anaheim went on to beat Edmonton, but we just need to take a minute here and uh, discuss that. I really think it was the experience factor that kicked in. You know, it seemed like the further that game went, Anaheim just kind of took it over, in my opinion. And, you know, you look at some of their core guys in Anaheim, especially Getzlaff and Perry. I had said earlier, you know, if these 
two in particular showed up. I mean, Getzlaff really did. He kind of took things over there. Um, I said with the experience and the skill level they have, they would be able to single-handedly take over this series. And with Getzlaff really stepping up, they really took over. But I've always said you have to lose in order to learn how to win. And the Edmonton Oilers are a really great team right now, finally, after over a decade. I think they're going to be back in the same scenario next year. So they're still a young core. So it's nothing to be overly ashamed of, embarrassed of, sad over. If I'm an Oilers fan, I'm ecstatic with what they did this year. So one thing I noticed about uh, the video you guys posted about the series was, Neil, you had some comments about McDavid. I did. And I actually share those same comments as you did. I was actually quite impressed by him. Why don't you just take like a quick second just to kind of explain them? Yeah, I just noticed, uh, I think it was in the last game when Anaheim scored their second goal and all his boys put their heads down in defeat. And he's the only player on the bench to keep his head high. And he was patting guys in the back saying, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. Something a leader should do, something a captain should do. I mean, my opinion was already changing on him mm-hmm. throughout these playoffs, but that was the moment that really... Uh, solidified my decision that he should be captain. Mm-hmm. So we also had the Ottawa series wrapped up, and I think that's twice now that people have not chosen Ottawa to move on. In fact, last <laughs> episode we had, our episode one last week, Neil predicted no more wins for Ottawa when the series is tied 2-2. I think Justin gave them one, and then they rolled off two in a row and, and beat the Rangers. So just some quick thoughts, guys. Yeah, I, I gave them one. Um, you know, I am guilty of underestimating the Ottawa Senators, and I'm going to admit it very openly. I really underestimated them. I think what really happened in this series, I know I mentioned it in the YouTube video we did, the Rangers lack consistency in this series. From one game to the next, I didn't know which New York Rangers team I was going to see. They could really take over a game if they wanted to, and they proved that in this series against Ottawa. There were two games in particular that they just took over and 100% dominated. But then the next game, it wasn't the same Rangers team at all, that lack of consistency. But at the end of all of this, I just feel so bad for Henrik Lundqvist because to me, his prime years are gone and he could go down as one of the greatest goalies of all time without a Stanley Cup. So I really feel for him. But at the same time, I mean, I am ecstatic for the Ottawa Senators. They have some really amazing talent on their team and Eric Carlson is playing like a Beast. Yeah, he is. There's so many good stories on Ottawa, too. Uh, you know, Bobby Ryan and MacArthur and Anderson. And Don't forget Pajot. Pajot, yeah, those four big goals. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Pajot it's, is yeah. doing phenomenal right now. Do you guys think that Eric Carlson is the most valuable player to his team in these playoffs? Ooh, that's a good question. He's definitely the most valuable player to the Ottawa Senators. Valuable player in the playoffs? I'm sorry, I might sound biased, but right now I would say it's Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, Without Fleury, Pittsburgh would not have made it past Washington. Boo. They would not have made it. The only reason I asked that is that I was actually listening to a couple of different shows yesterday, and some of them were saying that Carlson was the best player in the league right now for what he's doing for that. And I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far with it, but they were saying for what he's doing for his team that that basically that team lives because of him. Yeah, I mean he's a, he's a big reason. To me, you could have the argument that he is the number one puck moving defenseman in the NHL. I strongly believe he is, and it creates an amazing transition game for the Ottawa Senators because he's really calm and poised with transitioning from defense to offense, and he has the amazing ability to hit those stretch passes, which are huge, huge for the Ottawa Senators. So if Pittsburgh's smart, they'll try to take that out of the equation. Mm. All right, so now we're going to get on to the Pittsburgh and Washington series. And with their loss... Washington is now the first team in the NHL's history to win three President's Trophies and not win a cup. Wow. So there's a lot to say about this. But first, before we get into the meat and bones of what's wrong with Washington, let's just get some thoughts on the series that just passed. 
it was a very exciting series. Going into it this year, you know, I was kind of the same as last year. I felt really good that Pittsburgh could beat Washington, and they did. I was nervous going into Game 7 because Washington had all the momentum in Game 6. Like, that was just a complete embarrassment, what the Pittsburgh Penguins brought to the ice, which was nothing. They looked like complete crap in that game. It was horrible. It was one-sided. There was no effort, no heart, no nothing. So I thought, are they able to bounce back for Game 7? Are they able to forget and come in with a fresh mindset and really get to their game, which they were able to do. You know, and, and I said, if they're able to survive the first period with the score evened out, whether it's 0-0-1-1, they have a shot to win this thing. But deep down, I think it was their defense that allowed them to win. They were defense first oriented, and it really showed in Game 7 and gave them the win. Absolutely. And if we look at this, the series as a whole, we have Washington with more shots. We have Washington with a better face-off percentage as a whole. I think their special teams numbers were a little better as well. But, you know, Pittsburgh's defense had so many block shots compared to Washington. I would say the best team doesn't always win. And, you know, Washington was the best team this year, but they just can't get by Pittsburgh. They just can't. Well, yeah, Washington outshot Pittsburgh all seven games. Yeah. Now, that, that does speak volumes, but... I think the mindset has to change in Washington a little bit, and you cannot go all the way. You cannot win a Stanley Cup if you just have stellar offense. Washington has stellar offense, but to me, they don't have that commitment from their forwards to play defensively and to be defensively responsible. They're not getting a five-man unit going on defense if Pittsburgh was starting to pressure. And I think that was the downfall of the Washington Capitals. Their inability to commit to a defensive game when needed. Offensively, their cycle game is so impressive to watch. They're so dangerous. And to, like it's just it's like there is a group of amazing individual players, and that's not going to win you a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Washington had Pittsburgh pinned in their own zone so many times I yeah. lost count. But Pittsburgh was able to really you know keep them out to the perimeter, limit the amount of golden opportunities. And even though they had that zone time, they didn't accomplish a lot. And I mean, that was championship caliber when you had a rookie who's 19, Jake Gensel, laying down, sacrificing the body and blocking shots in game seven. That's what it takes to win. And I didn't see that from a lot of the Capitals forwards. I did not see that. Did anyone see Ovechkin lay down and block a shot? Mm. I saw him skate into somebody. (laughs) That's it. I didn't see him lay down and sacrifice the body, though. What do you think of his effort on the second goal I think they scored, where he kind of just tried to chip it out of the zone and then kind of half-assed it back to the net? Yeah, that's that's the stuff I'm talking about. You know, you're not getting that 100% commitment from Ovechkin to play a two-way game because it's just not in him to do it. It's not any fault to him. It's just the player he is, and he plays to his strong suits. And his strong suits are moving the puck, scoring goals. And I mentioned in our video, he's kind of like uh, Phil Kessel, right? Phil Kessel has a lot of similarities to Ovechkin. He moves the puck. He has a lethal shot, insanely hard shot. And it's very accurate as well. Pittsburgh uses Phil Kessel to his strong suits. They put him on the second or third line. His role is to just give them that solidified goal scoring depth. And that's what Phil Kessel delivers. That's what Ovechkin is. He's a goal scorer. So Washington has to stop building a team around a winger who is only capable of scoring goals. It's just not going to transition to success for them as a franchise. They need to realize this, and they need to realize it quick. He's been the face for 12 years, and what have they gotten? Not past the second round. They should have realized it years ago, because how many times has this happened? It's, It's endless, and that's what's so frustrating to me. It's just they just don't learn. They need a number one center to be the face and the leader of that franchise. That's what they need. Yep. Ovechkin needs to be stripped of the captaincy, and he needs to be brought down the line and just focus on scoring goals. Don't bother him with the leadership. 
Don't bother him to be a two-way player. Just keep him playing to his strong suits, which is scoring goals, and he's the best in the world at it. Yep, he is. There's, there's, he's a generational scorer. He's, uh, he is. I mean, Brett Hall was an amazing goal scorer back in the day, and at the time, he may have been the best in the league. His his shot was pretty accurate as well, but right now, Ovechkin's shot is more accurate than anyone's. Ever. Yeah, and Ovechkin's been in the league 12 years, and he has over 550 goals. Yeah. I mean, that speaks volumes. Next year, he could potentially pass 600 goals in 13 years. That is huge, especially in today's NHL. Yeah. Nobody's even close to that. Those are freak show numbers. It is. And that's his strong suit, scoring goals. Don't rely on him to be defensively responsible. He can't do it. It's just not his style. It's not the type of guy he is, not the type of player he is. And it just keeps transitioning to no success yeah. for them as an organization. And we're they not, have we're not saying he's a bad player. He's not. Every player has their strong points. And playing defensively, yeah. being a leader is not Ovechkin's strong point. He's in an uncomfortable world right now in those roles, and they have to realize it quick and get rid of him in that role. Exactly. Or maybe even get rid of him in general. I agree. Okay, we'll get into that in a minute. Just <laughs> I, There's a couple more house cleaning things for the week in review I just want to talk about. We had a G, or a, an assistant or associate GM, I guess the title he had was, moved to Buffalo. So there's that vacancy has been filled. That's uh, Jason Botterill. So I think Justin's most familiar since he came from the Penguins organization. So just uh, like a couple thoughts on that. Yeah, he's been with the Penguins for quite some time. And according to Jim Rutherford, he's kind of a key architect in a lot of things that Pittsburgh have done, you know, over the last six, seven years, that sort of thing. He's a younger guy, but he has a really good mindset for the game and he really knows what it takes to win. And Jim Rutherford took him under his wing when he came in as GM and really kind of, you know, gave him a lot of great advice because Jim Rutherford did deliver a Stanley Cup for the Carolina Hurricanes. He did deliver a Stanley Cup last year for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, I mean, he as well really knows what it takes to win. And right now, if I look at Pittsburgh Penguins management, I would put them on par with the best management in the league because of the depth that they have added to the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, as well as their scouting, that sort of thing. So if you're going to hire a guy to be the GM of your club, what better franchise right now than to pluck somebody away from the Pittsburgh Penguins? Well said. I don't know anything about the guy, so no, I can't comment. I don't either. And I want to jump back. I know this is probably not the best way to do this, but I do want to jump back to Edmonton real quick because there's a lot of disappointed Edmonton fans, but they were also kind of like the Cinderella story, I believe, like kind of similar to Toronto where, you know, this is their first year back in the playoffs in a long time and they actually went fairly decently far. And they had the chance to move on, really. But what what does Edmonton need to do for next year to continue where they are or maybe push a little bit further? They need a little bit more scoring depth. Um, you know, Edmonton, to me, aren't able to roll four lines that have the potential to put the puck in the back of the net. I mean, their top two lines, to me, are very solid. But for the bottom two, they really need to add more depth there. I also think that they need to do something with Jordan Everly. Uh, his contract's horrible. He had two assists in the playoffs. They didn't get, you know, a lot of effort out of him. Uh, to me, he looked really lazy, really awful uh, in the playoffs. And they looked at him as a depth forward. But what did they really get out of him, you know? And he's not earning those dollars that he's currently making with the Edmonton Oilers. And at this point, would a team even want him? I don't know. Even if Edmonton, say, they held on to 50% of his cap, I think even then they'd still have trouble to move him because right now his stock is at an all-time low. But to me, he really stood out as being a real underperformer uh, for the Oilers. But if you're an Oilers fan, 
you have nothing but you know happiness right now because it's the first time in over a decade you made it to the playoffs and your team almost eliminated Anaheim to go to the Western Conference finally. That close. But I think this loss is going to help them big time moving forward. I, I think I read that Edmonton had $14 million in cap that didn't contribute a goal. This is, these are forwards in the series they just had. Wow. So if you're if you're Peter Shirelli and you can kind of make some moves like you did this year for next year, then I think Edmonton can be really scary. And just on that note, do you think within the next five years, a Canadian team will probably win the cup? I really don't think so. I don't think so either. No. I really no. don't think so. I think in five years, if I had to pinpoint a team that would have the best shot at doing it, I would say it would be the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. If I had to pick a team out of the Canadian markets, but I still don't think it's going to happen. I choose Winnipeg. I would love that I've if said, Winnipeg won a cup. I've got a good feeling. They're Winnipeg. my second favorite team. I love the Winnipeg Jets. I love that city. Uh, I'd love to see that, but sadly, I don't see it happening. Mm. Edmonton's going to have a good shot. I uh, think. I think uh, your original original question was, what does Edmonton need to do mm-hmm. to go to go further next year? And I think they already had have. have obtained it because it was, the only thing they were missing was experience and mm-hmm. they just got some this year mm-hmm. and i think next year they'll be able to go into the playoffs a little more confident and uh remember the year that just went by so it's there's so many hockey cliches out there but do you guys really believe that when you suffer a loss like this it kind of sits in your stomach and you remember it next year and you, you want it that much more you do and i'm gonna mention uh specific scenarios two that really pop into mind if we go all the way back this is before my time i was born in 1984 but in 1983 the red hot edmonton oilers with a cast of future hall of famers went all the way to the cup final 1983 to go up against you know this long-standing cup champions the new york islanders in 83 and people thought wow oilers really have a shot here of knocking them out well the islanders beat them four straight what happened the next year the oilers went to the cup final again in 84 rest is history they started winning stanley cups Mm -hmm. 2008 pittsburgh penguins make it to the cup final against detroit they lose what happens the final the next year they go back to the cup final against detroit again they win you have to lose in order to learn how to win. I'm a strong believer in that. Nope, uh, I agree. All right, so that wraps up our week in review, and now we get to d- dig our talons into the Washington Capitals situation. The regular season Capitals versus the playoff Capitals. What is the difference, Justin? Well, the difference is other teams are able to step up and be you know, more responsible in their own zone defensively, that sort of thing, come playoff time. Washington has built a stellar cast around Ovechkin. I'm not going to, you know, lie about that or say things of, well, you know, a lot of forwards weren't good enough. They do have a lot of amazing talent, but that talent doesn't transition to the playoffs because a lot of these guys are not going to sacrifice their body. They're not going to up their physical play. Um, Can we recall how many shots Kuznetsov laid down and blocked? Can we recall how many times he really threw the body or started roughing people up? You know, outside of Wilson, if they had some more forward depth like a Wilson, I think Washington would have had success. They built an amazing team that are going to continue to win President's Trophies from the regular season, but it's not never going to transition to playoff success. It's just the type of team that they have. And they need to add some more two-dimensional talent up front if they want to go far in the playoffs. That's what they need. I agree. And I mean, there's two types of hockey. There's regular season hockey and there's playoff hockey. The Washington Capitals are playing regular season hockey in the playoffs. And you can't do that. You need to change your game in order to adapt. You need to line match. And Washington was doing a little bit of line matching, but not effectively. Uh, they, They weren't shutting down key players on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they just weren't taking those extra steps to become a playoff team. And to me, that was that was it. They were playing regular season hockey in the playoffs. 
Yeah, and that's just it. You need more commitment to a two-way game come playoff time. And again, Edmonton in 83, Pittsburgh in 2008, they didn't commit to a defensive style game when needed. They <laughs> lost, but then they learned how to commit to that from the loss. Washington continues to lose, and they're not learning anything from these losses because it's the same thing year after year after year. So what do they do? To me, they need to start with their star. They need to start with their franchise player, Alexander Ovechkin, and they need to strip him of the captaincy. And I know deep down he would probably be 100% grateful for it because he no longer has that leadership responsibility and he no longer has that extra pressure. You focus on him to be a goal scorer, he's a winger. What Washington needs is a number one center in that organization, a guy that is capable of a two-way game when needed and build the team around this individual. I made this comment the other day. And I said, hope he wasn't good enough. And someone in the comment section said, hope he was good enough. He wasn't the problem. I still hold true to what I said. Hope he wasn't good enough. He was all right. He was better last year in the playoffs. He wasn't, yeah, he Washington wasn't lost to Pittsburgh in six games last year, this year, seven games. But to me, Holtby was not the same this year as he was last year. He was okay, but he wasn't stellar. He was Flurry great. Flurry just outshone him in every aspect. Holtby was great in game five and game six. Uh, yeah, other than was. that, he just looked like a mediocre, mediocre goalie. Yeah, because, I mean, if we go back and look at that Hornquist goal that made the game 2 yeah, nothing, that was seven, softy. I'm not even sure what that was. And it almost looked like Holtby didn't even track or see that puck until it was in the net. Yeah. Just from his reaction, he had no clue where that puck was. And to me, that's a sign of a goalie that's not 100% zoned in. I don't find Holtby's been Holtby all playoff long, really. Yeah, and isn't. I first, when, he, when, when Boston was in their cup runs multiple years ago, when they first picked up Holtby and we were eliminated by Washington, I actually remember looking at this guy saying, wow, this guy's going to be something. And, and, the, and I thought he had a great regular season, but I, all playoff long, no matter what series you looked at, I thought he was just average. Like, maybe not average, maybe above average, but I didn't think he was the shining point for that team by any means. It could be his worst playoff performance in his career so far. Um, you know, even times against Toronto, I said, you know, Holtby's not looking the same at all. You know, that's not the Holtby that I'm used to seeing when Washington makes it into the playoffs. Because in previous years, he was their best player. He really was. Especially if you go back last year, if it wasn't for Holtby, I don't even think that series against Washington would have won six games against Pittsburgh. But it did. And Holtby was a big part of that. He was amazing do you last think, year. Do you think Holtby has confidence in his team? After the continued losses, uh, I'm sure a lot of these guys don't have confidence in their team. I really believe that. And you could kind of see it on their faces with their uh, final interviews as they were cleaning out their lockers, going their separate ways for the offseason. You could kind of see a lot of that in the way they were speaking, the way they were carrying themselves. And the reporters were asking specific team-related questions. They kind of dodged answers, and they didn't want to say certain things. And you could just see the frustration. And to me, I think a lot of these guys are frustrated with key guys. They're frustrated with the organization. And because of unrestricted free agency, a lot of them are probably even going to turn down a contract if they're offered one. If the Washington Capitals traded Alexander Ovechkin, what team do you think he goes to? Well, I've been reading a lot of articles about from TSN, Sportsnet. I think I even had one from ESPN, which shocked me. I was like, wow, ESPN has <laughs> <laughs> a hockey-related article. But a lot of them are saying Dallas would be the number one destination. And looking at what Dallas has currently, I have to agree with them and say that would be perfect because then he could pencil in uh, behind Ben and Sagan and he can just focus on being a goal scorer. 
not relied upon to be a leader. And also, you know, just because it's uh, Dallas, sorry to say, uh, the hockey media is not going to be as intense and they're not going to be after Ovechkin quite as much. Obviously, at first they would be because he's a superstar, right? right. And he's coming to a new franchise. The reporters would be all over him. Alex, what's it like to be in Dallas? What can you offer to Dallas? That sort of thing. But it would die down after a while and he can just focus on playing hockey, not be relied upon to be a leader, a two-way player because Dallas already has that core in place. And they just bring him in to be a goal scorer because that's what he is. Exactly. And I mean, if you look at their goalie situation, they have, well, currently they have three goalies. They have Letton making 5.7 million. They have Bishop at, I guess, five now because they just resigned him. And then they have Niemi at like 4.6 or something like that. If they get rid of Letton and Niemi, get rid of both of those contracts, somehow that's Alex Ovechkin's salary right there. And then they just bring in a cheap backup for Bishop. I mean... That's to me. That's effectively using the cap is getting rid of both yeah. of those and bringing in Ovechkin. And Dallas would have solidified depth with a guy like Ovechkin. Can you imagine having Ovechkin on the second line. You have Sagan and Ben on your first yeah. line. I mean, that's lethal doses, isn't it? And it just solidifies their depth. And I think that would rejuvenate Ovechkin's career. And that's what he needs. He needs to be looked upon as a goal scorer and nothing more. Yeah. That's Washington's first mistake. If Dallas had Ovechkin, Ben, Sagan, Bishop, and Net. And maybe a few different defensemen. They went out and got a few different key guys. Dallas could be a very scary team next year, hypothetically. Yeah, because to me, their uh, their main core, if, say, you put Ovechkin in that mix, uh, that could be very lethal. And I think with Sagan, Ben, and Ovechkin, those three guys, I think you would attract a lot of players to the oh, yeah. organization. Yep. It's kind of like uh, McDavid in Edmonton. That draws eyes when you have a player of that magnitude, and it makes other play- guys want to play for your franchise. I think bringing Ovechkin in and adding him to that mix that they have in Dallas, I think that would make a lot of people look at Dallas differently and say, hey, maybe I'll play there. I think that's what Todd McClellan said in his exit interview is that he, he thinks that, you know, what everyone's seen of McDavid this year, that it will attract free agents in the summer. Oh, big time. It, like the Sidney Crosby effect in Pittsburgh, that attracted all kinds of free agents. It attracted so much attention. Hell, Mario Lemieux wanted to play with him. Yeah. I mean, that speaks volumes. Came out of retirement. Yeah, came out of retirement just so he could say, I played in the NHL with Sidney Crosby. Yeah. I mean, that's how special of a player he was. And McDavid is equally as special. So so one of the great things about this channel and this podcast is the slogan is all things, all teams, basically. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play devil's advocate here, even though I agree with you guys. So we're going to continue talking about Washington. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer opinions that maybe like hardcore Washington fans may have in like a comment. Sure. Okay. So some people will say that Ovechkin was playing with an injury from the cadre hit in the previous season. And that was what was contributing to his lack of work ethic. What would you say to that? Well, he was playing with an injury. I, I don't believe he would come out and lie and say, oh, I was taking, you know, pain numbing injections and that sort of thing. He definitely had an injury, but to me, it did not show. He was still, you know, throwing the body around. He was still rushing up ice he looked solid at times, you know, in his strong suits of his game. And that is, you know, transitioning from his own zone to the opposition zone. And, uh, you know, he had some golden opportunities. He had one amazing one in game seven that went off the shaft of Fleury's stick. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was that close. And if Ovechkin had it scored there, it would have been a completely different game, I think. So yeah, he legit had an injury, but I don't think it hindered him in any way. He looked good for what he's capable of. He looked good. Yeah. And his exit interview he said everybody is injured in the playoffs everybody plays injured so i mean that's i don't don't, you can't use that as an as an excuse if you're a caps fan so another comment you'll get is the role of a winger is not the same as the role of a center i've seen this brought up a lot yeah where they're comparing him to very highly rated 
two-way centermans, and they're saying that that's not the same game that the winger is supposed to play. Justin's shaking his head. I know you can't <laughs> say it, so we're going to let him talk first. Go ahead. No, you can't, because if you're a center, your main role is to make everyone around you better, right? So you look at McDavid, he makes everyone around him better. You look at Crosby, he makes everyone around him better. Ovechkin is a superstar player. He really is. He's in that upper echelon with a McDavid, with a Crosby, because he's able to deliver you know, those amazing moments on the ice. But Washington has been looking at him for 12 years as a guy that's going to make their entire franchise better, the people around him better. As a winger, he's not going to do that. There are certain wingers that could do that. Uh, I look at a guy like Luke Robitaille. He could do that. He could make people around him better. Ovechkin cannot do that. What they need, you know, I mentioned it earlier, they need a number one center in that organization. And that person can make people around him better. Can you imagine if Ovechkin had a number one center on his line? What could that center do for Alex Ovechkin's game? If Patrice Bergeron played with Alexander Ovechkin on the same line, be huge. Yeah, that would be huge. And, you know, Ovechkin as a winger, he's just not capable of making the people around him better. I mean, I can think of a few times where... You know, he set up an amazing play, but that's not his game. He's not a setup guy. He's really not. He's the type of guy who has that lethal shot, and he's relying on the center to try and give him those opportunities to get that shot on net. And one of the other comments, or at least thoughts that I had, was the interview with the coach after the game when he was asked about Alexander Ovechkin's game. And he just said, emotionally, I don't want to answer that question right now, and blah, blah. You win and lose as a team, but emotionally, I don't want to answer that question. So obviously, he was not happy with the performance of Alex Oveskin, which kind of brings me back to the statement I just made about the injury. If the injury was that bad, then I don't think the coach would be ripping him, kind of throwing him under the bus. That was not a good thing to say by Trotz. And what kind of upset me is the media let him off the hook. I wish they had hammered him more and said, well, why don't you want to say something, you know? But they kind of dropped it after that. Maybe it's a respect level. I don't know. But that was not a good answer uh, by Barry Trotz at all. Yeah, that's just going to tarnish the relationship between him and Ovechkin next year. Yeah, and uh, you know, going back to like when Boudreaux was uh, was the head coach of the Washington Capitals, he said you know some kind of gray area type comments. You know, after they had no success against Pittsburgh and so on, and you know, a lot of people had an argument for years that Ovechkin is not a coachable player. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I mean, what kind of relationship does he have with Barry Trotz? I don't know, because I know Trotz looked at him and said, okay, Ovi, you need to be a more two-way player. You need to add defensive aspects to his game. And to me, he did do that to a degree. Uh, Over the last several years, Ovechkin looked a lot better when it came to being a defensively responsible player. And I don't think many people can argue against that. He has elevated a little, but unfortunately, he's just not capable of doing it to the full extent. And that was one of Trotz's main goals when he came into Washington is to elevate Ovechkin's game and make him into more of a, a complete player. Yeah, but if he was if Ovechkin was a center, I think he would have more <laughs> opportunity to do that. But as a winger, you know, he's focused as just being a goal scorer because of uh, the position he plays. You know, unfortunately, he's just not the type of player that can add that to his game 100%. He just can't do it. So I'm not saying I agree with the statement I'm about to make, but would you keep the coaching situation the same in Washington or is it time for a shakeup? Because they've already had four coaches go through, or I guess three, this would be the fourth since 2011, and they've only lasted two years or less each, and this would be the second year for Barry Trotz. No, I would really keep Barry Trotz. I really like him. He knows the game. He himself knows what it takes to win. He really does. It's just that with the group he has up front, These players are just not capable of delivering that two-way style that's needed in the playoffs for success. What Washington needs to do is focus on Ovechkin. That's where the problem lies. 
Ovechkin still has four years left on his contract. If you cannot trade him, if that cap is just too high and you just cannot get the return you want, what do they do? What they need to do is, well, either trade him, but at the same time, you know, I mentioned in the video, they're not going to want to do that because they make millions and millions of dollars off Alex Ovechkin. Do they want to trade away their cash cow? No. If it wasn't for Ovechkin, I don't think Washington would be selling out that arena as much as they are. And if you pay attention when the camera pans the crowd, how many Ovechkin jerseys are in the crowd? Yep. Like how much money? Um, what's his name? The owner is it Ted Leonsis, I mm-hmm. believe. And yeah, uh, he's making millions and millions of dollars off Ovechkin. So he's not going to want that to end. You know, it's constantly filling his pocket with money. So what they need to do, they need to strip him of the captaincy, have him focus on goal scoring, <laughs> and then bring in a really developed, solidified two-way centerman and start to rebuild that way. If you have Holtby in net, Ovechkin is your depth goal scorer and a number one center in your organization. That's the perfect start toward a winning formula. I don't blame Trotz here because he, like you said, he's an amazing coach. He isn't given the right tools to work with. And I think this falls on the GM, Brian McLellan or whatever his name is. He's filling his team with amazing individual players. He needs to go out and he needs to make deals to get uh, solidified two-way defensive players and they need to change the the mantra or the mantra, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah, Washington's kind of uh, all finesse, right? They're all flash, but there's no substance. You know, Pittsburgh beat them because of substance. Yeah, Pittsburgh has some finesse players as well, but you don't see them focusing on that finesse in the playoffs. You know, they they change their game, which you need to do in the playoffs. You have a guy like Kunetsov, uh, Kunetsov excuse me, doing a bird dance after he scores a goal. What the hell is that? <laughs> Like you keep doing stuff like that in the playoffs, you're just giving ammo to the opposition in order to up their game to beat you. And then after he scores a goal in game six, he was taunting the crowd again. Yeah. You know, like, what the hell is that? And I, Washington Capitals remind me, and this isn't a knock on Russians players or the Russian team. The Washington Capitals play a lot like the the Russian national team in the Olympics or World Cup or whatever. They're stacked with offensively gifted players. And their defensive game struggles. That's exactly how the Washington Capitals play. And it never works. You cannot win everything in hockey if you just have an amazingly offense-first team. It's just not going to happen. You have to be able to play a defensive style when called upon. And Washington can't do it because they're an offense-first team. They really are. Look at Boston in 2011. Maybe the most defensive team to win the Cup in the past 20 years. They were incredible. Yeah, and then when they made their way back to the final, they beat Pittsburgh four straight that year and basically embarrassed the Pittsburgh Penguins, who, to me, at that time, were the most offensively gifted team in the league. And they had Crosby, Latang, and Malkin basically held off the score sheet for four solid games. They yeah. just completely embarrassed them with their defensive capabilities. All right, so bringing in a number one center, a number one defenseman, that is something that is very hard to do. Almost no teams can do that. If they cannot find a way to bring in that piece that they need, would you go down the route of starting to blow this up and then redo for another four or five years in the future? It's it's hard to say to blow up the team that's won the President's Trophy so many times, but if they're not getting any farther and they can't bring in that piece, like, like what, what do you do? I wouldn't blow it up. Uh, They just need some key guys in there that can solidify that two-way game. And if you have some guys going out there, sacrificing, blocking shots, that sort of thing, it becomes contagious. And the guys on the bench really rally around stuff like that. Um, When Jake Gensel laid down and blocked that shot in Game 7, when he skated to the bench, everybody was patting him on the head because of that sacrifice that he made. Uh, You know, Flurry had some words for him as well. If Washington had guys like that in the lineup, they really don't. 
it would become contagious and the other guys would want to be doing that as well. And it really just creates the, those moments where they say, wow, look what that guy's doing. You know, he just sacrificed his body. That's what it takes to win a cup and it would become contagious and the whole team would start to rally behind it. They need guys like that. They really do. I wouldn't blow it up by any means. No, I don't think you could either. It's been talked about. So do you think they need a change of identity? Like their style of play, their commitment to each other. Like, do you think that they're a dressing room that's not that connected, I guess? Yeah. You know, Neil mentioned it a while ago. They have a lot of individual players, you know, me first, because uh, look at the power play or look at, you know, majority of Ovechkin's ice time. He's just standing in his office and he's waiting for that puck delivery. And if he's not doing that, he's looking to lay somebody out with a big hit. Are those the keys it takes to be a captain, to be a leader, to be the guy that the team is going to rally behind? Is that the type of player that's going to deliver that? No. So for a change of identity, they need to start with Ovechkin and that would change their identity. 100%. Because these past 12 years, they've obtained nothing. They can't get past the second round. So a lot of people said, wouldn't it be interesting in 2004 if Washington <laughs> didn't draft Ovechkin, but instead they drafted Malkin and Pittsburgh drafted Ovechkin because they went first and second overall? What would happen? Would Pittsburgh still have won two Stanley Cups with Ovechkin and not Malkin? I think so. I think so because of what Crosby brings to that organization. Yeah, He's a solidified two-way centerman. I had this train of thought earlier. I kind of lost it a little bit. If all the players on Washington bought into Barry Trott's system, you have a group of offensively gifted players. Um, offense is hard to teach. It's like a you're born. You're kind of you're born with it. It's a natural skill. I mean, no one no one can be Alexander Ovechkin. Alexander Ovechkin was born with that ability. He just has it. He's that's just what he does. You can teach defense. Anybody can play a defensive game. If all of the Washington Capitals committed to playing a defensive game like Barry Trotz wants them to they would be a very scary team because when you can play a defensive team, sorry, a defensive way, and at the same time you can switch on that offensive capabilities that you already have and don't need to be taught, that's a scary team. It is, and if the captain's not going to be 100% bought in on that two-way play, the rest of the team is not going to buy in either. And Ovechkin, to me, he still hasn't bought into it. He still hasn't learned. That's what it takes. But I'm honestly 100% believer that he just can't do it. He cannot do it, and it has to change, and starting with him. Are you guys happy to conclude your thoughts on this subject now? Or Oh, man, I could go for an hour uh, <laughs> on Washington and what they need to do. John Tavares, throw that name out there. Mm-hmm. Would he make a difference if he went to Washington? That'd be huge. I think 100% he would make a difference if he was in Washington. Let's actually talk about John Tavares for just a quick sec. Sure. What do you think he does? They There's rumors that he's going to be offered an eight-year, $10 million deal. And he said he'd get back to them within a month. Yeah, I I think he's a real team-oriented type of guy. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Steve Eiserman, you know, and I could see him sticking with the Islanders for the rest of his career, whether he wins a cup or not. Looking long-term for the Islanders, I don't see a lot of opportunity for deep playoff success with that current organization, unless they really start doing a lot of drastic changes starting this year with a Tavares signing and then start to build out from there. But to me, it's key for the Islanders to hold on to this guy because he's a franchise player, in my opinion. And if they start with him, they could really build out something in a few years that could be scary. But if they sign him, it's going to be 100% on management to build a winning organization. It's not going to be up to Tavares. He needs to have that supporting cast. So they're going to have their uh, their hands full to try to do that. But it's going to start with a signing with him. But if they lose him and he doesn't sign with the Islanders, oof, that's going to really hurt them and set them back a few years, hands down. I am not a big fan of the 
New York Islanders management. I don't think they've made smart moves over the past seven or eight years. If I'm John Tavares, I see this as well. I mean, this is just my opinion, but I, I don't stay in on the island. I leave. I want out. And like you said, I think he, I think you're right. He's he's the kind of guy, he's the loyal kind of guy who wants to stick with the team regardless if he wins or not. But if I'm John Tavares, I want out. And people might get angry at me for saying that. But. Well, I, I believe if he really wanted out, he would have already made that clear to the organization already. The fact that he's taking this long to come to a decision tells me that he really wants to stay. But if he develops that mentality of, you know, geez, I want to win now. Well, it's not going to happen with the Islanders. He's going to have to go somewhere exactly. else if he wants that. See, one thing I find really funny, or not funny, just kind of awesome, I guess, about NHL players is they're really the only professional sports league in North America <laughs> where a player hits free agency and they're not going out on the market to see what they can get. There hasn't been a huge free agent signing in a long time. Like last year, Steven Stamkos was going to be the first one in a long time. And look at him. He took a hometown disc and to stay. So I would like to see John Tavares leave as well. I think he's a great player who's never really had anything around him to play. But I see this as another scenario of him doing the exact same thing as everyone before him, just sticking around. Yeah, I think a lot of it can be almost like a negotiating tactic. You put the fear in your organization that you're going to go somewhere else. And yeah. The first thing they offer you a higher dollar amount. You know, everything they do is being instructed to them from their agents. And I mean, these agents are schooled in this from the time they get into this line of work is let's go for the highest dollar amount possible. Exactly. So, you know, they put a fear into an organization of, oh, crap, I might lose my star <laughs> player. First thing they up their offer by a million or two and then. They're making even more money because as a professional hockey player, you have a short window. You could be one game away from a career ending injury. It's a fast paced game. You want to make as much money as possible because a lot of these guys retire at age 35. Yeah. You need to think about your future. Yeah, you really do. What, what other job do you retire in your late thirties? I wish I retired like, at 35. Military is probably the only one start at, at 20, age 20, do 20 years and then you're done at 40. Yeah. And that's a scary job. Yeah. <laughs> other than that. Military, yeah. yeah. You know, these guys deserve higher pay for sacrificing their lives like that. But yeah, as a hockey player, a professional sports player, you're always looking for the highest dollar amount because your window is 15 to 20 years yeah. maximum. You need to secure your future. You need to secure your future. So I want to talk to you guys about the NHL concussion protocol. This past year, the 2016-2017 season, this is when the new rules came in where they brought in the Central League spotters who monitored the team from the league's player safety room in New York and they have the right to be able to pull a player out of a game if they think they're showing visible signs of an injury. Before we get into this conversation, I want to read the release that the NHL put out kind of just talking about the new rules. And it says, while it remains an individual club's responsibility to identify a player who requires removal from play and evaluation for possible concussions, the NHL and the NHLPA have agreed to provide additional support to help identify players who require evaluation under the NHL-NHLPA concussion protocol. A new staff of Central League spotters will monitor all games from the player safety room in New York and will be authorized to require a player's removal from play for evaluation for concussion if the player exhibits certain visible signs under the new protocol following a direct or indirect blow to the head. So when you read it from that release, that sounds great. You know, all leagues are having problems with concussions right now. NFL and NHL are on the top for being the worst mm. uh, and not dealing with it. There's that concussion lawsuit that's yeah, going on right it's now. It's all about the lawsuit, yeah. So... We talked about in the very first episode, we talked about that Crosby hit by Niskanen and he went out. It was deemed concussion. Two games, he was back in the lineup. You know, you got to kind of take part of it being the players where that they're good. And But I know in that first episode we did, Justin, you were a little bit concerned just with the time timing of how short it was. Yeah, because he's had five, six concussions now in his professional career. And every single one that came before this, he was out for minimal, you know, several weeks. 
sometimes months. Because um, if you look at him and Ovechkin side by side for games played, Ovechkin has played over 180 games more than Crosby, yet they came into the NHL and started their careers the exact same time. So, I mean, that speaks volumes for how much time Crosby has missed in his professional career. And I was really concerned that he came back that quick. But being a guy that has suffered this many concussions, he knows the protocol, he knows his body, and I have faith in uh, you know their group of doctors and their group of trainers. With a superstar like that, you're not going to bring him back prematurely and risk you know maybe even life-threatening injuries at this point uh, or career-threatening injuries. They're just not going to risk that because the lawsuits involved you know, they're currently ongoing still. Yep. The last thing they need is for Crosby to come back to the game prematurely and then out again. I mean, that would only give ammo to the opposition in this lawsuit. One of the problems with this is the science behind determining what is a concussion or how how do they form is not solid yet. Mm-hmm. It's still it's still being, you know, researched and that's why these leagues are kind of taking the stance that they are, saying that we don't have any proof that, you know, hits to the head cause brain damage which is what concussions are. It's a brain injury. So I want to go to game six of the Pittsburgh-Washington series where Crosby gets hit by John Carlson, goes headfirst into the boards. He's slow to get up. They do not pull him aside for concussion protocol. And before we get into the, the meat and bones of it, I just want to say, Oss, you, Neil, like, what is your opinion on that? You know, he just had a concussion three games before. He missed a game. And then you see him go headfirst in. He's got a history. In your opinion, should they have looked at that? If I'm the NHL, I take him off the ice. Because they need to take every step they can to ensure that there's there is no lawsuit and and like they need to be overprotective of these players and it's Sidney Crosby he's the the biggest money maker in the league there's jerseys Crosby jerseys everywhere you can't risk him having a serious concussion and playing through that concussion and getting maybe a more serious concussion or something else. I think, in my opinion, he should have been taken off the ice. Justin, do you think it would have been a big deal to have him taken, you know, back to the dressing room and put in the quiet room just for a quick test and let those last couple of minutes play out? Or do you agree with Pittsburgh's decision to just let him go? Well, I mean, you really have to. I mean, the trainers did meet with him on the bench after that weird, weird fall into the boards. That was probably one of the most awkward falls into the boards I've ever seen. He almost did a headstand. As he went down, uh, I don't, I'm not even sure how the hell he felt like that, but it was kind of scary because as soon as he went down, I went, oh my God, you know, this this could be happening all over again. He did get up kind of gingerly too, and that kind of made me think, well, you know, maybe maybe he's hurt here. But then after he got up, he kind of took a couple strides. He seemed okay, made his way back to the bench. Instantly, you know, trainer was in there asking him all kinds of questions, that sort of thing. There wasn't a lot of time left in the period. Uh, They let it go. In the intermission, he met with the team doctors, that sort of thing. They really checked him out. They evaluated him. Everything looked 100% legit. He felt fine. He stayed in the lineup, finished the game. And obviously, the right decision was made because since then, he's still playing. He's still in practice, taking contact. He's looking 100% healthy. So obviously, they knew something we didn't. But, you know, due to the lawsuits and the current protocol and all the uncertainties with concussions and fear and so on, I don't think it would have been a bad idea to keep him out for the rest of the game just to be 100% safe. But they felt confident in their decision. Doing the research for this, actually, I learned a few things about the concussion protocol that I didn't know. And I just want to read them because I'm, I'm sure there's people listening to this that don't know them either. And this is from Bill Daly, who is the deputy commissioner. And this is the reason why Crosby was not pulled from the central league spotters, not necessarily his team. This is what he said. He said, depending on the mechanism of injury, slow to get up does not trigger a mandatory removal. The protocol has to be interpreted literally to mandate a removal. Ice, as compared to boards, is there for a reason. It's the result of a study on our actual experiences 
over a number of years. Ice has been found to be a predictor of concussions. Boards has not been. I want to get your guys' thoughts on that quote first. Under this statement by Bill Daly, there is no hit whatsoever where a player can go headfirst into the boards and that would make that subject to this concussion protocol. So no matter how hard, under no matter what situation, someone gets hit headfirst into the boards, the Central League spotters do not have the right to ask to have that player pulled out of the game and evaluated. Yeah, that's something that they should touch upon once again, because I've seen people, you know, get up very, very gingerly after going headfirst into the boards. I mean, a lot can happen, you know, like uh, if we go back years ago when players would have to rush back to touch up in order to get that icing call. How many times did a guy fall and go into the boards oh, and yeah. get injured or go in head first and maybe have a concussion? But of course, that's years ago. So they wouldn't have known a lot about concussions in those days. You really do have to look at all aspects of the game. It's a high intensity, high paced game. You can get injured in a lot of areas and have contact with your head in a lot of areas, whether it's an elbow, a shoulder, a stick or the boards. Uh, if you have any fear at all that a player has taken contact to the head to a severe nature, you really need to look into it quick. Yeah, and I've seen guys on breakaways or and be tripped from behind from the guy coming back and going head first into the post. Does like what's the protocol there if they hit their head in the post? It's it's only ice. <laughs> yeah, the protocol should be, you know, contact with the head from anywhere on the ice, whether it's from the boards or the post, as, as Neil just mentioned. Heck, even a slap shot off the head. Yeah, puck to I the mean, head. Anything like that could potentially uh cause a concussion because if you go back to the original release that the nhl released at the start of the year it says and i quote visible signs under the protocol following a direct or indirect hit to the head or blow to the head so why does a blow to the head not count as boards but it does for ice it seems like they're focusing on player to player contact and they're not focusing on the other ways the player could potentially you know take a significant blow to the head and based off of that Crosby play alone, where he fell headfirst into the boards, I think that's going to give them kind of a kick in the rear end to really look at this thing again and kind of change their wording around a bit and kind of building out more to spot more and more scenarios where a player could take a blow to the head. And this just comes back to the point you made where the team ended up making the right decision. But even on that play, they did not have the right to pull him off just because of that rule. So I want to give a, two other comments or two other facts about this uh the slow to get up or clutching the head protocol only applies if the blow to the head is from another player's shoulder the player's head makes secondary contact with the ice or if a player is punched by an ungloved fist during a fight those are the only three scenarios that can activate this per concussion protocol yeah so that's where the spotters can step in and say okay this player has to be pulled if it's anything outside of that it falls on the organization the trainers and the doctors to pull the player so if we look at the Marty McSorley, Donald Bashir situation where Marty McSorley slashes him in the head and he immediately falls down, he hits his head on the ice after he falls down. So because he hit his head at this, because he said secondary, whatever, secondary, contact, secondary yeah. contact, then they could pull him off the ice potentially for a concussion protocol. That's right. But if he doesn't, if he takes that slash, same slash and doesn't hit his head, then they can't pull him off the ice. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, the spotters can't pull him, but the organization can. You know, the trainers or doctors could make that call yeah. after, you know, having some time with the player and kind of reviewing the situation. It's mm. kind of a weird, weird way to look at it and analyze it. And to me, it only has those spotters able to pull a player maybe 50%, 60% of any type of, you know, contact with the head because there's always going to be a high percentage, in my opinion, of players being susceptible to blows to the head from other areas. 
instead of just, you know, being hit by an opposing player. And the, and the whole reason for bringing these spotters in was because of a conceived bias by the team to keep their guy in. If exactly. Most, most hockey guys are tough. Like, look at the Dallas Stars. The guy had a heart attack basically on the bench and said, yeah. throw me out there. And like, then you got people in soccer at NBA where they stub their toe and they're getting stretched <laughs> off. So I, that's a, I'm sorry for insulting, but most players are not going to go back to the bench and say, no, I want to come out. I think Crosby's one of the examples where he would. I think he understands, you know, he's been through it so many times yeah, over such a long there. period. He understands when he can or can't do, but most guys are going to say, no, I'm good to go, coach. Let's keep going. That was why this was brought in. And to me, with, with the lawsuit going on and the other leagues having the problem with it, I don't think this is good enough right now. I think this needs more work. I think the spotters need to have more power to pull a guy out. But I also understand that there's repercussions. Like, what happened if one of the Central League spotters pulled Crosby out of that game when it turned out that he didn't need to be pulled out and Pittsburgh lost that game? Like, say they weren't going to lose that game. Well, I think that you'd be a little upset to a degree, obviously, but Pittsburgh did prove that they can win without Crosby because the game he missed with a concussion, they won that game. They did. And that's just due to their depth. But you always have to have health, you know, before success. Because the last thing you want to do is completely risk your future after retirement from the NHL just to have success. It's not worth it. There's a lot of guys out there that are still suffering uh, with concussion type issues. You look at Chris Pronger. He's been away from the game for a long time. He's been suffering for a long time. You look at Paul Correa. He's been away from the game for a long time. He's suffered for a long time. It's not worth the risk. Yeah, Lindros, another great example. It's not worth the risk. And I think... If they're smart, as soon as Crosby retires, you make him the spokesperson for concussions in professional sports. I, he's I can been, see that happening. He's been through so many and has learned so much, I'm sure, along that journey of recovering from concussions. He could offer some solid advice to any young guys looking at getting into you know, contact sports. Yeah. He could be an amazing figurehead for that and really driving home the message that you know more safety needs to be taken when it comes to concussions and contact sports. And Crosby could be the guy that could really drive that message home. One thing I wanted to ask you was after that game six, uh, Mike Sullivan, the coach, was asked if Crosby was checked and he said no. And then Crosby, when he was interviewed in the dressing room, he said yes. Do you think that's a miscommunication or do you think that's one player just trying to say like, yes, of course I was because he understands those questions were coming? Or Well, maybe I'm wrong, but I think he meant like uh, from the spotters perspective of no, he wasn't checked by the spotters. Maybe that's what he meant. And Crosby said, yes, you know, I was checked by the team doctors or trainers, okay. that sort of thing. Maybe that's what he meant. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, it almost sounded like there was a little bit of a contradiction there. But, you know, ultimately he was checked very thoroughly. He's their star player he's a big reason they have success so obviously they're going to uh, pull out all the stops for making sure he's 100 percent healthy if you were the league or a gm in the league what would you want changed or added to this concussion protocol they just need to be consistent mm-hmm. i think for me i mean if you're going to pull a guy off the ice then if there's a similar play to a different player you do the same thing i don't i just it comes back to consistency with me consistency with the league has been something that they yeah. haven't been doing a great job of lately in a lot of areas. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think the spotters should have 100% control, whether a player can be pulled or not. Not just, you know, these scenarios where there's contact to the head from an opposing player. It should follow all aspects of the game because that's what they are trained to do. That is their job. They should have 100% control. If they have any fear that a player has suffered a concussion on a play, they should have the ability to have that player pulled from the game, not just specific scenarios. It just looks stupid. Yeah, I agree. What's yeah. the point of having them in if they can only pull the player from specific scenarios? 
That just looks stupid. It's like you're kind of trying to be the white knight at the start of the league saying, we're going to do the right thing. And then you put the guys out there, but you don't give them the power or the tools to do their job. Yeah, exactly. And it just seems so fake to me in a way. Like like Bill Daly said, it, it has to be literally interpreted. So they have three scenarios on the paper that says, if, you, if it's one of these three things, you have the right to do it. And even if it's just slightly different, then they can't go in. And I, I don't agree with that. Yeah, it looks horrible. Give them the full control or else why are they there? You know, they're there and they're looking at specific scenarios. Say there was in a crazy, crazy scenario where players going in on a breakaway. The other guy's back checking. He's trying to break up the play. He accidentally trips him. He goes head first into the boards. He suffers a concussion. The spotter could be going nuts, you know, from New York saying, hell, oh my God, you know, he obviously has a concussion. You got to pull him out of the game. Doctors and trainers could check him, you know, right then and there on the bench and say, oh, he's okay. And then all of a sudden something really bad happens here. It's a scenario that could really happen. The spotters, I think, should have 100% control to pull the player. If a spotter pulls a guy out and then the team checks the guy out and they say he's okay to go, do you think the spotter's initial concern should overrule that? Or do you think the team doctor should have the final say? I think the spotter should have the final say. If there's any type of scenario where a player could have suffered a concussion, you need to get them out of the game. Because sometimes side effects from a concussion won't show until the next day, even until hours later. It's not going to be instant, okay, I feel nauseated, I feel dizzy, I have a headache. That's not necessarily the case. You could suffer a concussion and not feel anything for hours or even a day later. See, I agree with that. And that was, like I said earlier, that's the main reason this was brought in, was to prevent teams from interfering with that process. So you know, I completely agree. All right, guys, so thanks for coming in. We'll uh, we'll stop this one here. Sounds good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having us over. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Peace out. Okay, so that just about wraps up this episode. If you are listening to this through a podcatching app such as iTunes or Google Play Music or one of the various podcast apps out there, we do greatly appreciate it. And we would appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe the podcast so that you're notified every time a new episode goes live Sunday night. If you have feedback for us, as mentioned off the top, we have Twitter at post to post show or you can write us an email, post to post show at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. And we'll see you guys next week.